When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome in Rose City to Soccer Made in Portland. I'm Ryan Clark, joined today by a special guest co-host, Alex Barnes of Stumptown Footy. Welcome to the show, filling in for the illustrious Chris Reifer, who, you know, sometimes, occasionally, likes to, to do his, his real job. So he, he's out there, you know, grinding away, fighting for justice in the community, and Alex is here to to talk some footy bright and early this morning. So, so Alex, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. We'll uh, give Chris a little bit of a reprieve from the the soccer this week. Yeah, he's he's put in a lot of minutes this season, so it's it's important to to give him rest. Um, it's 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 a big stretch coming up here for both of these teams. You got the Timbers and the Thorns now, sort of in this playoff hunt. The, the Timbers in a position to to be able to clinch a postseason berth on Saturday with a win in Montreal or a loss or a tie. We can get into that a little bit later on the on the scenarios. Uh, the Thorns trying to get the shield. They're they're in a spot now where they're in second in NWSL behind San Diego after a loss uh, on Saturday. So that that's a tough position for them to be in when they were sort of you know in control of their own destiny. And we'll get into that more later as well. Uh, Tom Boger reporting this morning. We'll start out with some breaking news that uh, the, the Timbers are down to the final list of six or seven candidates for their head coaching position. That list includes Phil Neville, Dome Torrent, Ezra Hendrickson, and Robin Fraser, along with interim head coach Miles Joseph, who Tom noted is absolutely in contention based on the team's recent play and the sort of turnaround that the Timbers have experienced in, in this part of the season since they let go Gio Savarese. Uh, but Miles has not interviewed formally yet. They're waiting until the end of the season, uh, according to Tom's reporting, to to do the official interviewing. So there, there's a lot of uh, layers to, to that list. Um, some interesting names, some some potentially questionable ones uh, based on on team performance, based on you know, public scrutiny and controversy. Um, you know, Alex, what stands out to you about that list of potential candidates for the Timbers head coaching job? Um, the first thing that stands out to me is that I'm glad that they're giving Miles consideration for the job uh, after the the work that he's put in during this stretch uh, after Geo was let go. Um, I think based on results, he deserves to be in the running. Um, and if they make the playoffs, I think, you know, aside from Robin Frazier on that list, I don't think there's any names that really stick out to me, especially Phil Neville. Yeah, look, look, there's there's some baggage to unpack with Phil Neville. And, and honestly, for for a team that, you know, has has sort of tried to make this public turn away from, you know, controversy and, and issues in in the past that, that the team has you know, brought on itself. That's a surprising name to see on there because obviously folks who may not be familiar, 
uh, Phil Neville was was hired as the head coach of the England women um, a few years ago. Uh, and when he was hired, he he came under public scrutiny for for sexist tweets that he posted uh, back in 2012. So he was hired at age 41 and at age 35, you know, posted comments on Twitter that women were potentially too busy making breakfast or getting the kids ready or making the bed to uh, to read his tweets and and later uh, joked about battering his wife publicly on Twitter um, in a conversation with with family so he apologized for for those tweets and there have been um, other you know soccer related, scrutinies that have existed for Phil Neville that um, make that, I think, a surprise name to see on the list, a big name to be sure, somebody who has possessed some some high-level jobs in, in the soccer sphere and most recently was the coach of Inter-Miami. Had a bit of a contentious relationship with the media when he was there in Miami, so you know a lot to, to unpack with that name, but also Dome Torrent, Ezra Hendrickson, Robin Fraser is is the one that you touched on, Alex, and and somebody that um, I, I think would absolutely be among the top contenders. And and according to Tom's reporting, he is he's somebody that's widely respected around the league. Uh, was basically in a no win scenario in Colorado with with not a whole lot of resources to to work with, um, but somebody that you know people around the league have a lot of respect for. You think about um, you know the way that people around the league talk about Gio Savarese, um, despite whatever, you know, culture issues existed at the end of his tenure in Portland and, you know, the results that didn't work out. People talk about Robin Fraser in sort of a similar light, somebody who's a longtime MLS guy who has those connections, but also the respect as somebody who, um, you know, has shown themselves in, in a public manner to be a high character individual. So that that's interesting to me to, to see him on that list in particular. And I, I also agree with your point, Alex, about, about miles. I, I think that, you know, there's no question he should have been on this list and, and it's um, it's, I think for Timbers fans, it will be refreshing to sort of see him listed because they're loving what they see, you know, people, people online, you know, in, in the emotions of the moment as they so often get caught up, they, they have already called for miles to, to get the job or, or even uh, Ridgie, Liam Ridgewell uh, to, to get the job based on his performance as an assistant coach. What's interesting about that reporting from Tom is that both of those individuals were named miles and, and Ridgie as potential people to, to stay on the staff, regardless of who gets hired. And I think that, you know, if, if you really don't feel like you want to keep rolling with, with miles Joseph and he's willing to stick around, I think you absolutely should, should consider that course of action, particularly if somebody like Robin Fraser ends up being your pick because, um, because that adding another, you know, thinking, head in in the room somebody who you know has that experience and um you know brings a lot to the table is is always a good thing and and i think that this this coaching staff has sort of led by committee in a lot of ways miles is is a i think a good leader and and somebody who was 
willing and able to step into the top job. But I think that by no means is it sort of his, you know, net cast across this entire team. I think it's absolutely um, a group effort on the part of, of people like him, Ridgie, Shannon Murray, and other and others on staff. So a continuation of that type of culture around the team could theoretically happen if they hire somebody else. Uh, the, the question is, who is that person and would they be willing to, to sort of keep Miles and, and Ridgie and others on? Yeah. And, uh, you know, obviously if you're bringing a new head coach in, you want them to have all of the staff that they want first and foremost. But if a Robin Frazier is comfortable with having a guy like Miles, like Ridgie, who have experience in the league, who are getting results right now, who players like, you know, Zach McGraw and Dario Zuperich have spoken very highly of as having a real impact on not only results, but the way that the team is approaching games and uh, approaching things like defending um, and accountability. Um, I think it would be great to keep Miles on if that's something he's interested in. Um, and yeah, like going back to Robin Frazier too, uh, touching on the lack of resources in Colorado, um, that didn't stop him from from getting results and significant results in a, quite a few seasons. He made the playoffs several years and finished first in the Western Conference in 2021 with a Colorado roster that not many people thought could do that. So, uh, yeah, he's he's probably the only player or coach on that list that um, stands out to me aside from Miles at this point. Yeah, there are. Um, I mean, there are big names on this list, and the Timbers had spoken privately, sort of about you know the potential for for big names, and that's you know that can be bluster. You know, we we know that that type of thing happens all the time, and in the process of hiring coaches. But um, Dome Torrent is somebody that that comes to mind as as a big name, but who knows how far along in the process he he might get. Um, he he. I believe most recently managed the Turkish club Galatasaray, which is a, a big power in, in Europe and, and he's consistently competing in, in champions league. Um, you know, he, he's worked in an MLS before as, as the head coach of New York city FC in, in 18 and 19 was an assistant under Pep Guardiola, uh, which is no small thing. One of the most successful coaches, in the game period. So, so to learn from and have a coaching tree connected to somebody like that, obviously makes somebody, um, you know, incredibly qualified to, to potentially be the coach. Um, you know, Ezra Hendrickson is another name that, um, was, was on the list. Uh, that's, that's one that I'm not sure would compete with the likes of, of others on the list, but he, he brings his own, you know, sort of experience to, to the job and somebody that's been around MLS for a while. Um, Sounders assistant for several years, Galaxy assistant, Columbus crew assistant, uh, and and then most recently the head coach of the Chicago Fire who, you know, talk about limited resources. <laughs> Not a whole lot of, of resources for him in Chicago. Um, but a, another guy with a lot of respect around the league too and, and um it, it's no small thing to 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 look at this list and and see the diversity of of potential coaching hires, right? Like multiple people of color on on this list, um, and that's I think a, a good thing in terms of the progress. Now, you know, 
teams will tout that they interviewed people of diverse backgrounds as sort of this, you know, self pat on the back, but it, what really ultimately matters if, if you're sort of pursuing that line of thinking is, is actually hiring these people and, and bringing them in uh, and listening to their perspectives and, and not doing it just sort of as this, this token decision, but rather with, with an eye toward, you know, progress. And, and we'll see if, if, uh, you know, if that ends up coming to pass and, and those, those candidates of diverse backgrounds end up making it farther in this process, but um, something to keep an eye on in terms of a narrative there. Um, there, there are multiple black players on the Timbers who, you know, I'm, I'm sure would, would advocate for, you know, a, a diverse hire and somebody that can ad- advance sort of the role of, of black people in MLS and, you know, Robin Fraser and, and uh, Ezra Hendrickson are, are two guys that absolutely would do that. Miles still think he, he is the leader in the clubhouse for this based on the team's performance. I, I would be surprised if they did not make the playoffs. It would take essentially it would take them. Well, th- at least they'll make the play in. I, I should clarify that because if Chris Reifer was here, he'd be like, well, actually, uh, the, the, the play in is not the playoffs. And, and you know, that's not what, how Chris sounds, but I'm just sort of turning him into this little like internet yeah, throwing Chris under the bus um, there. Well, he's not here, so he can't defend himself. Um, Miles, Miles is, is somebody that has done a good job and they are in a position now where, you know, one point or zero points would put them in a, a perilous situation. If they ended up out of these last two games with one or zero, uh, they would probably not make the postseason. But anything else, literally a win, loss or tie on Saturday against Montreal, they still have a chance to to make the postseason. A win guarantees it, though. And avoiding the plan is obviously their preference. And if they win out, they will. If they if they beat Montreal and they beat Houston on decision day, that would secure them a seven spot in the playoffs. And whoever they face as the two seed is, remains to be seen. Right now, it would be Seattle. That would be interesting in a three-game series going back and forth between Seattle. But playoff scenarios right now are myriad. For the Portland Timbers, it's pretty much impossible to predict not only where they're going to end up, but who they'll play. The most likely scenario for them, according to the modeling, is to finish as the eight seed. I think that's like a 40-something percent chance of, of them to end up there. That would mean hosting the play-in game, which is just a one-off game for them to, to decide you know, who would play St. Louis, which, if I'm being honest, I, I think that you know there's a real solid chance that they could pull the upset against a team like St. Louis. I think that Portland matches up pretty well with St. Louis city, despite the historic nature of their ascent in MLS. Um, so we'll see. I, I it's anybody's ball game at this point with two games to go and it's not a hundred percent clear where they're going to end up. But you know, what, what, what are your thoughts on the scenarios and, and sort of the, the path ahead for Portland? Yeah, I think um, the only thing that I'm, relatively confident in is them getting a result against Montreal this weekend. Uh, Montreal has taken two points from their last four games and Atlanta hung four goals on them. They lost three nil, uh, another match against Orlando. Um, 
And despite them getting a, a extremely late equalizer against Houston, I just think with the Timbers' recent home form, uh, they should at least get a draw. And, uh, you know, I'd be pretty upset if they didn't get at least get a, a draw from that game. Um, I agree with your point on if they do get the eighth seed and match up with St. Louis, I think there's potential for an upset there. Um, you know, St. Louis has been good this season, but the Timbers uh, drew the season series with them. They, they won 2-1 against them on April 29th, and then uh, they obviously lost 2-1 March 11th at home. So, uh, you know, the MLS playoffs are weird, baby. Anything can happen. Uh, we've seen it multiple times. The Timbers come in as a, a lower seed and make a deep run. So, yeah, I, I think that uh, I'm confident they'll they'll get a result and get into the playoffs this weekend, and we'll see what happens from there. Yeah, and there's history, too, of, of expansion teams overperforming in their first year, uh, as as some people have, have criticized St. Louis of doing. You know, it look, they're, they're a good team. They, they've, they've shown themselves to be a team that can make a deep run in the MLS cup playoffs. But once you get to the playoffs, a, a lot of people around MLS know this and, and true sickos who followed the, the league for as long as, as you have Alex, like they, they have seen teams, you know, win the supporters shield or finish with the best record in their conference and just, just putter out in the playoffs, LAFC being an example, a couple of years ago, rail salt lakes done it. Colorado's done it. I mean, this, these are, these are real things. And and the, the form that the timbers are in really sort of helps that potential narrative. Yeah. Speaking of Robin Frazier in Colorado, <laughs> finishing first in the West and going out in the quarterfinals. But uh, yeah, you know, I, what, the last time the timbers were in the playoffs or the, the MLS cup was 2021. And, can't remember what seed they were that year, but I'm pretty sure it was a lower seed. Um, and yeah, I, I just think that MLS playoffs are so weird. You can't really expect, you know, expect the unexpected is what I would say. <laughs> That's a good sales line. You, sh- you should work for, for Garber on that one. That'd be, that'd be a good one. Um, so, so Timbers, obviously they, they play Montreal on Saturday on the road. That's at 4.30 on Apple TV. It's a free game, the last one of the season, because, you know, it's the playoffs ain't going to be free, folks. You're, you're going to have to have MLS season pass if you want to watch the playoffs. And that last game against Houston is two weeks after. So decision day is October 21st against Houston at 6 p.m. at Providence Park. That game is obviously crucial <laughs> because everything is so wound tight in MLS. but. Um, you know, you know, thinking about the the scenarios for the Timbers, a win on Saturday and a loss or tie for San Jose, if I'm remembering correctly, uh, would guarantee Portland at least the eighth seed. So they would be in a position where at the absolute worst, they would host the play-in game and then get to play St. Louis. I think, you know, if I'm Portland, I would rather have that set up than to be the seven seed and play a Seattle or an LAFC in a three game series without having to deal with the plan. Yes, you know, anything can happen in the plan. Yet you could just as easily be 
eliminated and not even get your shot at St. Louis as, as you could, you know, getting that chance. But I don't know. I, I, I kind of like that path a little bit better. Yeah. The only counter argument I would have to that is, uh, you know, the Timbers have a pretty favorable history against Seattle in the playoffs. Um, as many Timbers fans like myself like to tout, but, um, yes. Yeah. I, I kind of tend to agree with you that, you know, with St. Louis being an expansion team and maybe overperforming, um, you know, you really don't know what miles and the staff are thinking in terms. I'm sure they're just getting the playoffs. They would love home. And then figure it out after. Yeah. (laughs) So, so we'll see how it goes for the Timbers. Uh, The Thorns play, play this weekend at home in a big one against Gotham. Um, had a rough result last week, 2-0 loss to San Diego, slipped to second in the standings because of that. It was essentially a battle for first place. San Diego put together, I think, one of their strongest performances of the season. Now, San Diego has been one of the inconsistent teams in NWSL, despite being <laughs> atop the table right now. You could probably say the same about the Thorns in some respect. By their standards, at least, they have been pretty inconsistent this season, but you know, a 2-0 loss at home, even without Sophia Smith, which, as we know, is a massive, uh, you know, hole to fill up top. And and Hannah Batford, who had been in, in good form earlier this season, didn't really have that strong of a performance in this game. So so you wonder whether the, the Thorns will go to somebody like Christine Sinclair up top the way that they did against the rain. See if that sort of combo fits a little better with what they want to do against Gotham. But this is a formidable Gotham team coming into town on Saturday. Um, a lot of layers to it, a lot of emotion. Obviously, you know, Monashim and Sinead Farley are playing their first games uh, with Gotham in Portland. Uh, it's it's really a, a important moment for the both of them. I had a chance to speak with them this week about the emotions and and the fact that you know, despite everything they went through. Um, you know, with the with the Paul Riley situation, with the league's investigations, Portland's mishandling and attempts to to interfere with those investigations, um, it, it's it's a situation now where where they're able to play with joy, they're able to to have passion for and love the game again, and Thorns fans love and care for for these two women um, and have supported them consistently over the last two years as, as they sort of have been on the front lines of this fight for equity. Um, so it's, it's special in, in a lot of ways. And uh, it reminds me sort of, of a couple weeks ago when, when Rapino came to town and special for different reasons, obviously, but you know, the idea that, you know, we're in the heat of a playoff race that, you know, obviously the thorns fans want the thorns to get three points out of this game, but that, you know, players keep coming into town that they, you know, recognize and respect and love. Um, I, I think it says a lot about the NWSL as a community and and particularly about Portland Thorns fans who have been such consistent and outspoken advocates for the players. So, um, you know, that will be a, a nice moment or, or a series of moments, depending on how the game plays out, who gets subbed in. But, you know, on the field, this is. This is a matchup against a, a Gotham team that has a lot of talent up top. You think about Lynn Williams and Yasmeen Ryan, a former Thorn, and and others up there who who you know they they like to play with with some serious pace and and you have to defend out wide very well. I, I think that's something that you know 
Megan Klingenberg and Natalia Quick are two veteran players who have done a great job this season and both, you know, take care of their bodies very well and, and have sort of been, you know, iron women for the, for this team this season and not dealt with a whole lot of injuries. But the pace of the game has sometimes gotten away from them on, on the, the edges of the field, uh, particularly earlier in the year before the Thorns switched to sort of a double pivot defensively. Um, those two were often left in precarious situations, including I remember the spirit game uh, when, when the Thorns lost or excuse me, the, the Thorns won that game. But, you know, one of the challenges of that game was Trinity Rodman on, on the wing against Klingenberg. And, and um, you know, Kling is, is an outstanding player and vocal leader, but she, she could face similar issues defending in space this week. And it's going to take quality defending on the interior from people like Becky Sauerbrunn, uh, who's who's really back fully healthy at this point. Uh, Kelly Hubley or Emily Mangus next to her. Um, that's the end of the field that I think is going to end up making the difference. I think that the Thorns had an off game on the attack last time out. And I think that people like Morgan Weaver and Crystal Dunn are going to you know sort of step back into those those roles and convert more likely this weekend than they than they did at all last weekend so a lot of layers to this one what for you alex do you have your sort of eyes on for for this thorns matchup yeah i definitely agree with you on on weaver and dunn i think there were some uncharacteristic uh you know wasteful moments in attack um especially in that second half um and then, yeah, going back to the dangers that Gotham pose uh, moving forward, I think it's really imperative that the Thorns don't um, shoot themselves in the foot like they they did against the Wave in the first half. I think both the goals came from giveaways in midfield. And then the second one, obviously, Bella misjudges it, and it's an unfortunate moment. But, you know, like you said, Gotham is a very dangerous team moving forward. Uh the fullbacks, the center backs, the defensive midfielders are going to have their hands full. Um, and uh, one thing that, you know, is imperative if they, there's still hope that they can get the shield, you know, but San, San Diego's got to drop points. But regardless of that, the, the Thorns have to have to pick up some, some wins here if they want to secure a buy in the first round of the playoffs and also potentially win the shield still so yeah and and you know as chris and i have have talked about you know week after week that's that's the goal for for this group right is is to be the first team in nwsl history not just the first thorns team to to not only win the shield but to to win the championship on top of that and that um that would be a big moment for for this club and something that um you know they can hang their hat on as sort of a a high mark of the dynasty really You, you think about the Thorns team has an opportunity to establish a dynasty here. I, I believe there will be some turnover in the offseason. Some veteran players may not be back here. And, and this is sort of the the end of this portion of the window, right? I think the window extends however long Sophia Smith and Sam Coffey and Morgan Weaver and Bella Bixby and others, you know, stick around town. Especially people like Sophia Smith, who, you know, Chris has has continued to advocate for for them getting in that room and, and having her sign on the dotted line to, to a massive extension. That's a no brainer. We've talked about that extensively. You gotta, you gotta lock up somebody like, so if she's a generation, give her the talent, keys to the city. 
yeah, she she deserves the keys to to the city and and to the suburbs too. Give 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 her the keys to like Beaverton and Hillsboro, cross the bridge in you know, Vancouver, Forest Grove. Yeah, head up to Vancouver, the 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 finest city to the north of Portland that I can think of. Um, so so yeah, look, the, this is a dynasty defining stretch as we've said time and again for the Thorns. Um, you know they aren't necessarily thinking in those terms. They are very narrowly focused on this Gotham game. And, um, you know, Mike Norris, this, the first season for him, he he's admitted has gone by in a flash and, um, there have been growing moments for him as a coach. And now this is the ultimate test, right? Is, is to put Portland in a position to maybe catch San Diego. A, a win obviously is, is the thing that you need to sort of, um, put yourself in a strong position there. A win in a San Diego loss puts you back up above them. Um, and a tie in a San Diego loss actually would put them in a tie atop the table. But despite the recent result, the thorns would have that tiebreaker because of a massive advantage in goal differential. Um, and that could end up being again, the, the, you know, the thing that makes the difference in the end for the thorns. They have, Right now, plus thirteen goal differential. San Diego's plus seven. Um, it would take a lot of movement for that to happen, and even if that movement did happen, the Thorns wouldn't be in a tied situation anyway. So, a lot to to unpack for the final week of the season. The Thorns actually <laughs> they haven't clinched a playoff spot yet, which is truly the the example of how insane the NWSL is. Right that. You know the the team that is the reigning champions that is consistently in line for the shield that has far and away the best goal differential with two games to go in the season is still not clinched. There is a an outside shot that if the Thorns lose out and other things happen around them that they miss the playoffs, which of course would be disastrous. But all the modeling shows they're going to make the playoffs. It's like a hundred percent chance, you know, statistically at this point them getting zero points out of these final two games would be a shocker of epic proportions. And the entire conversation shifts away from, you know, dynasty establishment to, to uncertain future, right? We love narratives in this business and that would be an unfortunate narrative to have to talk about, but I I don't think that's going to happen, frankly. You know, I I think that the the thorns at the very least are going to get, you know, three or four points out of the, this, final two games the question becomes whether they can get that top two seed um and and potentially the shield in order to clinch a top two seed this weekend the thorns need to win against gotham north carolina needs to draw or lose and the washington spirit need to draw or lose those three things happen um the thorns have set themselves up with one home game to decide whether they get to go down to san diego for that championship and Maybe that championship is against the the host team, against the Wave, who, you know, in that scenario, very well might be the number one seed and host their own semifinal game against whoever comes out of that side of the bracket. Um, that would be compelling. It would be tougher because, you know, the NWSL would make an effort to to sort of sell tickets as evenly as they possibly can. But it's still in San Diego. There would still be a whole heck of a lot of wave fans who, you know, have shown up in droves this season and, um, 
you know, their, their average attendance rivals Portland's, which is, is incredible for a team that's only been around as long as they have and sort of hasn't had that long established fan culture that the Thorns have. Um, that would be an intriguing matchup. I would, I would love that. I would also love to see Rapino and OL rain in that championship match. Speaking if I'm the narratives. Thorns, because not only, yeah, narratives, man, the rivalry, the, the last season for Rapino potentially her last professional soccer match for club or country could be that championship matchup or a playoff matchup in Portland, you know, depending on how this, the seeds shake out so many fun narratives in NWSL. And, and as the league expands, you know, the, the talent pool will spread out and, and I think the parody will continue, but I, I think there's an opportunity for teams like the thorns to separate themselves in the next few years. Yeah. I agree um, with you. Yeah, a lot of things to touch on there, but but you know this this weekend is is sort of the big focus. Yeah, and I'm not sure that uh, you know Thorns fans or players should be rooting for a North Carolina loss because they play San Diego tomorrow at home, and if San Diego drops points to them uh, and the Thorns get a a result against Gotham, that puts them back in the driver's seat for the sh- supporter shield. So, you know, it's it's a crazy weekend. That's why the NWSL is so great. There's so much parity across the league between, you know, there's so many good teams. And the fact that the Thorns could, you know, potentially miss the playoffs with how well they've played at times this season, how much talent's on that roster would be just insane. But like you said, I don't think that's going to happen. Um, and it'll be interesting to see what, happens this weekend and beyond for sure. Yeah. And, and Sophia Smith's health is, is an underlying narrative of these next couple of weeks for, for the thorns. Uh, I was out at training yesterday T- today's Friday. So I was out there on Thursday. Um, Soph trained in full. She was a participant in everything full go. Um, I wouldn't say she was going a hundred percent in terms of, you know, the intensity of her training, um, she obviously wants to be careful to not re-injure herself, but I think that's also a sign that she also may not be all the way there yet to to be ready to play. It is notable, I think, though, that she trained in full, that she had this sort of brace wrap thing around her, her right leg that, um, you know, supported that right knee that she had the, the sprained MCL. She stayed after practice to get some extra touches, some shots off. Um, most of her shots, I, I should note, throughout the, the day of training were sort of a little off. Rust is inevitable when you've been off as long as she has. But she's doing opposed work. She's being defended by others um, and going through everything, which makes me think there is a possibility that she is available as a substitute this weekend. I, I don't think that they're going to rush her back by any means, and I would be just as unsurprised if she was off the team entirely and they sort of save her for that angel city game or if the results go their way they save her for the playoffs so that's something to keep an eye on yeah i think obviously you know everybody in portland is desperate to see sophia smith back on the pitch but you do not want a re-aggravation of that injury and as much as they miss her i think morgan weaver has been incredible over the summer um, I think she's on seven goals now, right? Something like that. So, um, you know, 
they they have the attacking talent still without her to to get results and you just want to make sure that she's a hundred percent ready to come back when that happens. Yeah. And, and she's could be the, she could be the difference between you um, winning the championship and not right. And when it comes to the playoffs, she's a game breaker. She's, she's unbelievably fast and skilled and highly competitive and talented. All, all the superlatives that you want to talk about with. So if I, I think that, Regardless of whether she comes back in the regular season, um, I think she's the MVP. I, I think there are other players who have made strong cases around NWSL this season, but just looking at the numbers, not only has she continued to lead the league in scoring, but she's, if it weren't for Sam Coffey, her own teammate being a brilliant playmaker, she'd be potentially leading the league in assists too. That is such a major expansion of her game for somebody that was a, that has been an out and out striker. That is someone who loves to dominate the ball and take it herself, like one on three, one on four, one on five, and just just rip off some insane goals. Um, becoming a distributor and utilizing that talent around her uh, has has been such an evolution. And Thorns fans and fans of the NWSL in general may have sort of forgotten about that that dominance I don't, I don't think thorns fans have forgotten about it but definitely nwsl fans in general may have allowed it to slip into the background in the last few weeks since she's been out but you gotta you gotta take the season on the whole when you're looking at an award like that i, I think that you know you're right to to give praise to morgan weaver i think she is somebody that if she was not on a team with sophia smith would be among the leaders for league mvp right now she has you know, experienced this evolution as a player over the last two years. I think she's the same player she was last year, but it's just taken another step in that sort of competitive dominance. And, and, um, she is representative, I think of, of this thorns culture, just this ability to, to play with equal parts, joy, and just relentless competitive intensity. I mean, not only the fact that she, she, you know, gets excited and is, is emotional and screams when she scores goals and points to the logo on her chest. But she literally is such an intense and consistent player between the lines. Somebody constantly providing pressure up top, utilizing her speed on the wings, um, finishing with just, you know, tremendous finishing ability. Um, she's really underrated, honestly. I, th- I think that, you know, if she was on any other team, there'd be a lot more hype around her and she might even be getting more national team looks than she has. So, you know, I, I have a lot of, you know, positive things to, to say about Morgan. I think she's been terrific. Yeah. It's been really special to watch, um, her progression this season and adding that more clinical nature to her play up top. She's got pace to burn. You know, she sets up teammates um, and then, you know, like you said, without Sophia Smith, she's maybe the the most important attacker on the team. Um, but speaking of Sophia Smith, I, I just, she, yeah, I, she is the MVP again. Like, and if she wins back-to-back MVPs and the Thorns win back-to-back titles and potentially the Supporters' Shield, it, it would be just such a special season and yeah, uh, cementing themselves as a, a dynasty team. 
Yeah, and the NWSL is growing in in so many different ways. And you know, you think about team valuations spiking. I mean that that Sportico article. You know, take it for what it is. But Angel City being valued at one hundred and eighty million dollars, and the Thorns being essentially like a third of that, or like a fourth of that, at like fifty four million. That is that is a big deal. That that the league is growing in that way, and and the Thorns Huge in order. For the league. Yeah, and it's huge for the league. And in order for the Thorns to sort of keep up with the competition, you know, they aren't in a market like Los Angeles. They aren't in a market like Boston that is getting an expansion team, uh, or even like the Bay Area that has this major institutional support. These like financial firms throwing hundreds of millions of dollars into the mix here. Um, it's going to be different regardless of who the new owners are, right? Unless the new owner is like Phil Knight or something. Like the the pockets only run so deep, you know, even if you have a billionaire at the top of your organization, um, because it's Portland. And so, so that's always going to be a sort of limitation that they face, despite the history, the fan culture, the success, um, they, they have to, to sort of fight that uphill battle from here on out. That's part of the growth of the league. And so establishing this dynasty, establishing this tradition of, of, you know, a strong culture within the team itself, a, a strong, you know, history of winning and and standard and and being a globally recognized brand. Um, these are all things that you know they want to to do, and it starts with this season. And that establishing that can allow you to to compete on a level playing field in the future, in the next decade, as as teams like Angel City are going to start paying big dollars and bringing bringing in a whole bunch of talent. Um, to to compete with you on the field, um, you know the, there's a lot of great players in leagues around the world that have not yet you know touched down in NWSL. There's a ton of talent, and I think NWSL is proving itself to be one of the best leagues in the world, if not the best. But it can get better, and it, I think will get better. So you you got to keep up in some way, and I think that establishing this dynasty is is a good sort of pathway to doing that. Yep, I completely agree. Let's get uh, Phil Knight to buy the Thorns and then the Blazers, and then we'll all be rich and happy and win everything. <laughs> I mean, we we won't be rich, but you know, well, that's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah we, we will continue to to fight the the good fight on on uh, on the middle class front. Uh, so the <laughs> finishing with a labor discussion today, that, that that's, that's usually how this podcast goes. We, we veer, we veer into topics unrelated to soccer, particularly, uh, you know, sort of hot button. Got to fight the but, powers uh, that be indeed that will finish it up for us today <laughs> on soccer made in Portland. Uh, we, we will finish with, with a. Uh, a message that the, the workers must fight for their rights. Uh, thank you for, for listening, everybody. Thank you to Alex for joining us. Uh, we really appreciate having you on, man. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. I'm down to do it anytime. Absolutely. We'll have you back for sure. And, um, you know, you can follow us on Twitter um, at a Barnes and Noble at Ryan T. Clark and at Stumptown Footy and at soccer maiden pdx that's all of them right i think i i think i checked them all off off there but yeah, i think you got them 
yeah, all set. So, uh, you know, follow us wherever you get your podcast, like us, subscribe to us, leave a review. Um, tell Alex what he did wrong. Don't, don't tell me what I did wrong. I, I know that I, I was totally you know, flawless. I'm too throughout. fragile. Don't tell me. <laughs> you can't, can't take criticism. Uh, so, so thanks again, Alex, uh, looking forward to, to the next game. We'll, we'll share a beer in the, uh, in the post game press box and, uh, and trudge along as the season continues for both the Portland Timbers and Thorns. Uh, we'll see you next week, everybody. And thanks for joining us. Thank you.